The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to it. Uh, yeah, Employment Law Show. We are set to go again today. We hope you are as well. Stan Feinselberg will be doing all the answering of the questions. Here's how it works. Uh, you simply call that number. And talk to us. We talk to you, whether it's about severance, whether it's about vaccine mandates, going back to work, working from home, anything under the employment law banner, we cover it and answer the phone calls. So you know the number, use it. You can email some questions. In fact, we're going to do a lot of that today. We're going to get through a good portion of the uh, the inbox, the email inbox, which uh, gets pretty full, right? So you gotta you got to take care of some of those to do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. There's also another website you can use, free and anonymous. And it's got so much information on employment law, how it affects you and your uh, your your work career from day to day, really, and that is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Rolled into that sucker would be the uh, good old severance pay calculator, which is free for you to use anytime and just have a uh, have a wee look at how much severance you should properly be given and owed if it ever comes to the point where you need to reach out to Stan and have a, a ballpark, uh, well, actually a pretty definitive answer of how much uh, severance you should be getting if you let go from your job. But that, anytime, uh, not now, anytime, including now, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But we'll get to the emails here in just a bit and your calls. But uh, first, the week that was, uh, Stan, what's going on, my brother? Yeah, thanks, John. Good to hear from you and uh, good to hear from our listeners. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the week that was, I wanted to uh, touch on what's uh, really, you know, I think the biggest issue or topic going on in employment law right now, which is the federal vaccine mandate that the federal government in- keeps claiming it intends to bring, uh, you know, sometime over the next several months. Uh, and there was kind of the first episode in implementing a federal vaccine mandate that happened just a couple of weeks ago, uh, specifically as it relates to the trucking industry and crossing the international border going into the United States. So uh, last week, the Canadian Border Services Agency came out and quite confusingly to the entire trucking industry actually said last minute that truck drivers would be allowed to be exempt from the vaccine mandate to cross the border. Uh, Just for context, there was a scheduled uh, implementation on January 15th, which basically said that anyone who's coming back from the United States and is unvaccinated uh, in terms of uh, truckers is now required to quarantine for 14 days. And as you can imagine, John, that's created, you know, or at least there's this anticipation of a huge logistical, the the huge logistical issues that are going to happen because of supply chain issues and frankly, just labor force uh, not having enough truckers. That's in terms of this particular industry, that's been true for many, many years. And then when you implement this quarantine and you're talking about, you know, I think probably 10 to 15 percent segment of this labor force, that has huge implications for our economy. Uh, And so Presumably, the CBSA came out and exempted truck drivers on that basis because it saw the uh, implications coming and wanted to you know, halt that before more studies were done. But the next day, the federal government comes out and actually says, no, that the CBSA was incorrect in its uh, direction to truck drivers in the industry. And that mandate will come into effect on the 15th. And this created a huge problem because 
you know, in anticipation of based on what the CBSA had said, a lot of companies had already sent employees out to do runs into the United States and they were scrambling to get back. And some of them, as I understand, didn't get back in time and are now quarantining for 14 days. And I think what this episode is generally showing, though, is the just lack of planning, um, the lack of foresight, just the implementation issues that are going to be coming to head as the federal government continues to uh, you know to push on with this vaccine mandate that it says it's going to introduce for all federally regulated companies um and, and i mean this is obviously as i say you know a big issue in terms of the implementation just the way it was done and the fact that you know we still hear in the latter half of January, do not know what the federal government's legislation or regulations in terms of this mandate are going to look like. Uh, they claim that they're still in consultation with various industry groups. And that the really big question, John, is will there be an alternative to allow for some form of testing? Uh, of course, you know, there's obviously going to have to be, at least on paper, the uh, understanding that religious and medical exemptions do qualify and for a vaccine exemption because the human rights code you know mandates that but in terms of the alternative for testing that is really the big question that i think that the government is undergoing in consultations right now uh and, and the, i think the bigger issue in terms of these vaccine mandates which seems to be lost on on the general public mm -hmm. is that this is a federal government vaccine mandate you know there's in terms of employees, maybe 10% of the workforce in Canada is covered by the federal government. So many people, I, I think, in, in Ontario, employers specifically, are hearing this discussion of a vaccine mandate at the federal level and thinking that they will be okay to implement their own mandate, you know, even pre prematurely before the right. vaccine mandate from the federal government is even tabled, uh, because they, you know, from their perspective, the government's saying it's okay. You know, the important thing to remember is that, again, the federal government only covers certain industries like banking, like, you know, tra uh, the trucking industry when it crosses international borders, uh, rail, air, things like that. Most jobs fall under the purview of the provincial government. And specifically, as it relates to the on in Ontario and the vaccine mandate, there has been no particular directives or discussions at this point of bringing that type of mandate to this province, uh, and in fact, you know, if you look through some of the some of the statements made by the premier back in the summer, you know, there was one in particular where he came out and said, uh, "I will not implement a vaccine mandate for the healthcare industry specifically, and nor do I think they are constitutional." And that's created obviously a huge issue as you get for the courts because you've got two different directives from governments, and, and also just for employers who don't really understand which, you know, which government are they supposed to follow. They may not know which jurisdiction they fall under necessarily, and, and maybe prematurely jumping into these vaccine issues and implementing a mandate thinking that they have safety, uh, safety net from the government, when in fact that's nowhere near the case. And, and as we've seen at the firm, you know, many, many people are losing their jobs because of these issues, either being put on unpaid leave indefinitely, you know, with no particular timeline as to when that leave will end, uh, or just being terminated with cause outright and saying you're not owed severance. You know, you you basically refuse to follow our lawful directions, and therefore we don't owe you any severance because of your actions. 
And that is a very speculative position, John, I would say. I mean, from my perspective, I think all of these cases will absolutely turn on the context and facts of each case. And that's the important thing to remember here. You know, there are obviously situations where a vaccine mandate is clearly appropriate. You know, even in Ontario, the government has come out and said for the long-term care industry specifically, employees must be uh, vaccinated in that industry. And in that situation, if an employee chooses not to be vaccinated, they actually don't have recourse because of the fact that it's not the employer that has changed the policy or changed uh, the terms of the employment. It's actually a third party, the government, that's come in and mandated a, you know, a regulation in this case that makes the employment re uh, relationship unable to continue. Mm -hmm. And that, that is what we call frustration of contract. Yep. Usually we're talking about it in the medical uh, context when somebody's just unable to work for medical reasons. But this is a, another example of that. And, and in this particular instance, you know, if an employee is terminated or loses their job and it is found to be frustration of contract, that is not something, a situation in which an employee is owed severance. So there are clearly, you know, situations in Ontario right now, and this is why I come back to context, where, you know, you may not have recourse as an employee. But outside of the long-term care home, every other industry has not, as of right now, been mandated to implement a, vac a mandatory vaccination policy. And many of the employees in these industries are basically extrapolating from you know, what they're hearing from the federal government, from maybe what they're hearing from public health authorities, and believing they have the rights to do this. And, and again, I think that's a highly questionable position. Uh, and I, you know, it's ultimately going to be up to the courts to sort all this out because the governments aren't exactly providing a lot of guidance, I think, you know, on purpose, because they don't want to really step into this issue. Uh, and, and you know, it's leaving employers in the dark. So really, that's you know the biggest issue in employment law today, and I think for the next several months on the horizon is how are these vaccine mandates going to continue to play out, and will employers be shielded from uh, from these lawsuits, or you know are they really just stepping into a huge issue that uh, they don't foresee? Again, very confusing stuff, and uh, you know for people that want some clarity beyond listening to this show for the hour, they can reach out to Stand Again Partners, San Firu Tamark and LLP, the most positively reviewed. Employment law firm in the country, right? You want to reach out to Stan, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the uh, the email address we use on the show every week. And if you haven't been there yet, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is a free and anonymous website constructed just for you to educate yourself on all matters concerning your employment as a uh, as a worker in this country, right? Especially non-union. That's where you want to go, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, and take advantage of the uh, the resources there. But we'll take a, a short break. Get in your emails, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Those phone calls coming too. Phone lines are open. Bring it on, and we'll continue. Employment Law Show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
And welcome back to it. Stan Feinselberg, partner at Stan Firu to Mark and LLP, doing all the heavy lifting on the show today. Uh, your emails, we're going to get through a ton of those now, so uh, send them along or make that phone call and uh, talk to you here over the next few minutes. Feel free to uh, to do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. First one, uh, Stan, coming from Ariel. Ariel says, hey, Stan, I have not taken vacation in two years. Yeah, join the club. Uh, can I ask my company to pay my vacation out since I was unable to use it? Yeah, seriously. What's vacation again, John? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. Honestly. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear you haven't been able to go anywhere, Ariel. I think that's unfortunately been the standard uh, for most of us. Uh, in tr- and in terms of vacation, so there's really kind of two ways of looking at vacation pay because there's the vacation that you're entitled to by statute, and mm-hmm. then there's vacations, uh, you know, vacation pay or time that you're entitled to above that. That's usually contractual, right? That you've negotiated with someone. And, and as we know, John, you know, you can never get less than what the statute provides for. So to the extent that you are, you know, you've got two weeks per year and you haven't used them, absolutely your employer has to pay those out if you ask for them uh, to be paid out. Now, your employer can also just dictate that you go on vacation because as an alternative to actually just paying you out, they can say, okay, well, we don't, you know, we just want you to use it and we'll pay you the vacation while you're on vacation. Uh, and oftentimes employers do that because they don't want to necessarily pay an employee, you know, two weeks on top of their salary, but maybe it's not budgeted for. So those, in terms of your statutory vacation rights, you can never lose those. Again, you can never get less than what the statute, the Employment Standards Act, provides for. Everything about that is a little bit more murky because, generally speaking, you know, there, an employer can have a policy, let's say, that says if you don't use your that vacation above the statutory minimums, you lose it, and we don't have right. to pay it out. Uh, and that would be perfectly fine. You know, they basically told you to use it, and you know, you've, you're essentially agreeing to the terms of the vacation policy mm-hmm. that if you don't, you lose it. Right. So oftentimes that's that would be the way to kind of determine what can it be paid out at this point. Are there policies around it? If generally there are no policies, then I would say, yes, you're entitled to, again, you may not have it paid out. You may be forced to go on vacation by your employer, which they have a right to force you to do. But I, I would say you cannot lose it if you have a contractual right in a contract to it. Uh, and again, and this, and this also presumes that your employer hasn't changed your contract in any way and told right. you, like, you know, you got to use it or you're going to lose it. And if you chose to disregard that, you know, that's almost like acquiescence to a fundamental change in the employment relationship. It's interesting, too, because most people don't know mm-hmm. that. I mean, I guess it doesn't happen really that often, I guess, depending on what type of gig you have, seasonal or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, your employer can tell you when to take vacation. Hey, you're three weeks. They're taking them all in February. Have a good day. I mean, it's you know, they can't do that. It's not very common. I wouldn't say it's good work practice to be a boss and do that. But that is that is legal. They can do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't really, most people don't think of it that way because, you know, they're free to take vacation whenever they yep. want. But a lot of uh, professions don't have that flexibility. I mean, the classic one is teachers. They're told exactly right. when Good they're call. allowed to take vacation and when they're not allowed to take vacation. Or, you know, a lot of places uh, in, in manufacturing have a Christmas break shutdown where they literally shut down the plant for a week or two and tell all their employees to take vacation during that period of time as well. So, yeah, it's not something that's particularly well known because it just doesn't apply to a lot of people. 
Uh, and yeah. frankly, most employers don't you know, reject employees' vacation requests if, as long as they're reasonable. But absolutely, it is all, you know, the ESA does the, give the authority ultimately to your employer to determine when your vacation will be. Again, 416-870-6400. That's the number to chime in. Questions about this or anything else that uh, comes across uh, over the next little while as we're doing the show today. Uh, next email, James. Thanks, pal. Says, uh, I've been working throughout the pandemic at home remotely. Now, my employer is saying that I need to be double vaccinated by the end of January or I will be placed on an unpaid leave. Is this legal, number one? Number two, what are my rights? Mm-hmm. James, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said that I think that these cases will absolutely be determined based on the context of each individual case. Because, you know, in James's situation, and it's a situation that I, I, I think I've gotten probably more than half of my files of this nature, that where people are working from home, there is very little, you know, reasoning or logic that I can see from a legal perspective that would allow an employer to implement a mandatory vaccination policy. Because the classic argument that the employer is using right now, when they're not able to point to any sort of government mandates, is by essentially pointing to the Occupational Health and Safety Act and saying that under that act, we as employers have an absolute obligation to ensure a safe workplace. And based on you know the recommendations of public health authorities yeah. and uh, the government's direction, yeah, yeah, you know we believe that under that act, this is you know our obligation. We have to implement this, and that we therefore have the inherent authority to implement the policy. Uh, and, and again, I mean, I I think that that argument can be successful in certain contexts, but when a person is working from home, John. Right. You know, what is really the workplace that you're trying to safeguard and, and yeah. how is forcing a person who's literally just at home to get the vaccine, you know, keeping anybody safe? So particularly in the context of people who are working from home and employers are still forcing, you know, vaccinations uh, or mandates with these employees as well, which which I think is a little crazy. I mean, even people that I talk to who are very pro vaccine and very pro mandate when you tell them that like well what about a person who works from home and doesn't go anywhere even those individuals have pause at that point because the logic just isn't there there's no nothing you're safeguarding in terms of the workplace and really i don't see what the argument becomes in that context so for james in particular i would say you know i i absolutely do not believe that the employer has the inherent right to put you on an unpaid leave of absence for this particular issue and you, in terms of what your rights are at this point, uh, you have a right to treat that as a termination and claim constructive dismissal and go and fight for your severance. How about the that, that whole part in there about unpaid leave? I mean, once you once you mm-hmm. put somebody on a leave, I, I'm talking now, of course, in a, in a non-union setting. Once you're told, mm-hmm. well, you're going to stay home, you're on unpaid leave. Aren't you? You're just punishing them already. Like I mean, that's it's already you know, guilty as charged if you're not going to pay them. I mean, it's it's that 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 sounds wrong as well. Well, and it is wrong in most contexts. But there is a, a certain certain situations where the courts will allow an employer to put an employee in on an unpaid leave, uh, usually in the context of a disciplinary action. You know, right. the classic example is when you suspend somebody because they screwed up. You know. And you suspend them with uh, without any wages. That is not a constructive dismissal. You know, presuming you know the suspension is 
reasonable in the context of what happened. Obviously, if you're just suspending someone because they you know, made one simple mistake, it starts to look a lot less reasonable and less like a disciplinary action and more like a toxic work environment. Uh, but in that context, and also in the context of when you know somebody has filed a complaint of some kind and an investigation needs to happen. Now, usually those, usually, unless you feel, unless the complaint is very substantiated from the beginning, you know, usually you would actually have to put that person on a paid leave of absence because that's the difference between an administrative suspension and a disciplinary suspension. One is, you know, something that hasn't come to any sort of conclusion. It's just a step in the process. So you're suspending someone so you can complete the investigation. And once the investigation is completed and the results are, you know, uh, are confirmed, then you can take whatever disciplinary action is deemed appropriate. Whereas in the other context, you've already come to the conclusion, you've already made the decision that disciplinary action or suspension is appropriate, and and you take that action without having to pay the person for their uh, for that time. Right. Right. I want to get to uh, Lavi here. We still got some time before the break. Uh, again, your emails uh, are arriving here. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Levy says, I get commissions on sales and my company is changing the structure, which looks like it will result in a huge decrease in income. What are my options? Mm-hmm. So it, commissions are one of those things that's always hard to predict, right, John? Because they, they really do vary from year to year. Yeah. And so to know whether you're going to have a reduction based on the change in commission structure, it's, it's usually... Uh, best to try to stay on for a bit and to see what actually happens. Because yes, you might look at the structure and you as an individual, knowing your industry, knowing your sales numbers, knowing your clients can look at that commission structure and say, oh, I'm going to lose a ton of money because of this, these changes. But from a court's perspective, you know, they don't know your industry and they don't know your clients and they don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the way that you do when a change like this happens. And and that kind of creates some risk because, you know, the employer might be able to argue if you take steps prematurely, what are you talking about? You know, we think this commission structure is going to do fantastic. You know, look at all your colleagues who did really well. Uh, and that puts the court in a very difficult situation of making an assessment without the actual evidence. And so the best way to kind of overcome that issue is to stay in the job and to actually work and see what happens over the next month or two. Uh, especially in the context of changing commission structure where you don't know what the effect is, you are an employer employee is allowed to test, you know, the change to Mm -hmm. see what happens before making a decision as to whether they have to claim uh, constructive dismissal. And, And so in this context, what I would suggest is trying it out, confirming what you think is going to happen, having the evidence to show a court exactly what your, you know, position is and why, uh, and that, there was a subsequent reduction in your income and then making the decision that, okay, this, this change has been a significant fundamental change in my employment relationship. I'm not going to accept it. And I'm going to walk away at this point and claim constructive dismissal. So it's a matter of, you know, I'll do it, but I want to take it out for a spin because this may turn out to be, you know, a poor decision on your part thrust upon me. Yes, exactly. And, and even better practice is to make that clear. You know, if your employer is telling you, okay, these are the changes, you can, you can tell them in preferably in writing always, writing, yeah. uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like my 
my income is going to be reduced because of these changes, but I want to try it out and I'll you know, see how it goes. Absolutely nothing wrong with putting that in writing, making your protestations known both to your employer and objectively to the court, and, and then just testing out your hypothesis and seeing what happens. Claudia is up next. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca in between uh, any phone calls, which you can make right now and, uh, and talk to us. Claudia says, I'm a practicing Orthodox Catholic. I submitted a religious exemption to my company with an affidavit from the priest stating that my religion prohibits me from taking the vaccines because of the aborted fetal matter that was used in making them. My employer rejected the exemption without providing more information. What else do I need to do to get my employer to recognize my religious exemption to the vaccine? Claudia, that, that's a great question and, and one of the many interesting uh, complex questions that are coming out of the out of COVID in general pandemic and these vaccine mandates yeah. in particular. Uh, because it, it's I find it really hard to understand how an employer is going is thrust into this role of determining whether an individual who holds sincerely held you know, religious beliefs, whether those beliefs have enough of a nexus with you know, the actions that they're being asked to undertake to create a religious exemption, because that's effectively the test. You know, the test is, number one, are your beliefs sincere? You gotta, you gotta at least be able to, to overcome that minimal hurdle to show that this isn't something that you've just done out of convenience, you know, that you're practicing, that you're part of a practicing religion, and that, you know, these beliefs are sincerely held as part of your religion. Once that's overcome, once that, you know, aspect of the test is overcome, John, then the second aspect becomes, well, what, what is the connection between your belief system and the action that you're being under, asked to undertake? And is there a sufficient enough connection from an objective perspective to create uh, a need to accommodate? Right. And that, that, I think, is just an incredibly hard question to answer in the context of religion. I mean, religion is in, inherently something that's subjective. Every person has their own, uh, you know, inter interpretation, implementation of it, understanding of what their obligations are uh, in their religion. And, you know, in, in the Catholic context is a perfect example of this because, you know, the Pope has actually come out and said, generally speaking, that he doesn't believe that there is a uh, a religious issue or a that would prevent a person from taking the vaccine because of the the fetal matter that was used in the development of the vaccines. Mm. But at the same time, he's he also alluded to the fact that you know everyone has a right to make their own choice in this particular matter. So a lot of employers, what they're doing in the Catholic context is they're pointing to the, the words of the Pope in this particular instance and saying, "Well, see, this can't be part of your religious belief system because the Pope said it." And I'm not sure that that's even the correct way to evaluate because, you know, as we see in Claudia's context, her parish, her particular priest has given her an affidavit of support. And I've seen many priests and uh, religious leaders provide affidavits in support of individuals choosing not to get vaccinated. So it's an incredibly difficult question. I think it's incredibly unfair that we have to put employers in the position of having to decide that question. And... I mean, I'm not entirely sure what a court's going to do with it either, because it's just it's so difficult to be able to understand whether someone's religious rights are being you know, activated here or not. 
And with that, we'll take a short break and get right back into it. Thank you so much for your emails. Robert, uh, standing by, your uh, your email's coming up and yours too. Send it along, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. This is Employment Law Show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back to it. John Scholes here and Stan Fainselberg, partners, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country. Reach out to Stan and his team. Get the compensation you deserve anytime. A chat is no problem with Stan and his crew. Set you up state, uh, set you up straight rather. And uh, due diligence is what it is all about when it comes to your employment law rights. So, so reach out to Stan. You can email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website, which is free and anonymous for you to use, was built just uh, just for you to use exactly pocketemploymentlawyer.ca but here and now in between the calls which are uh, which are coming through we'll get to another email this one uh, as promised robert standing by says uh, hey stan i was laid off by my company last fall they keep saying they will bring me back from work but now that the pandemic has regulations we're uh, extended again now they say they don't have to bring me back until the summer what can i do as it's been over a year and i am no longer eligible for ei yeah so just to give our listeners some context, you know, I believe what Robert's referring to here is the infectious disease, emergency disease leave mm-hmm. regulations, which were put in place back in May of 2020. Uh, as I recall, they were originally supposed to uh, expire in January of 2021. Then it was July of 2021. Uh, it was most recently January of 2022. And now, again, they've been extended until uh, July of 2022. And these regulations have uh, also been a huge issue in the employment uh, sphere because they're about as clear as mud. Um, There's a huge issue, you know, that's being adjudicated right now, frankly. Uh, My firm is the one that's doing the court of appeal case that will ultimately, you know, hopefully decide this issue as to whether or not these regulations stop an employee from being able to claim constructive dismissal because they were laid off. Right. Uh, in normal course, we know, John, that unless your employer has a contract that says they can put you on layoff, unless you've been laid off in the past and they've recalled you, and you've given them that authority, no employer has the inherent authority to put somebody on layoff uh, on an unpaid leave. Um, and basically that is a constructive dismissal in the normal context. In the pandemic context, we have these idle regulations, which have muddied the water significantly. And there have now been, you know, three cases that have touched on this particular subject, two of which have said that, yes, it is still a constructive dismissal if you lay somebody off, even during the pandemic, even despite these regulations. Uh, And a third that has said, no, it's not a constructive dismissal. So now, you know, that's working its way up to the next level of the court, which is the Court of Appeal. And hopefully that will provide significant guidance for us uh, as to what the ultimate decision or or answer is to this question. Um, Generally speaking, as you know, our position has been very clear throughout 
the pandemic, we do not feel that these regulations have in any way stopped employees from claiming constructive dismissal. Uh, and that's in fact supported by the Ministry of Labor itself, because the Ministry of Labor on its website, you can go and see there when it discusses these regulations, specifically says that they only apply to the statute and are not intended to apply to the common law in general. Uh, but this is still an open question, and, and that's the issue, and that's what we're hoping the courts will finally clear up, you know, two, two plus years after these regulations were actually, actually came into force. Uh, in, in Robert's context, you know, and there's always going to be some risk associated with this, so you'll obviously have to uh, evaluate it in terms of what you can actually afford to do here. But yeah. I, I strongly believe that there is a, you know, argument that it is still a constructive dismissal. Frankly, a lot of companies are trying to use these regulations as almost a shield and a sword to get rid of people uh, wow. and then and then try to shield themselves from liability, saying, well, it was the pandemic. Uh, just because these regulations exist, John, doesn't mean an employer necessarily qualifies for their protections either. Because one of the things you need to, uh, to qualify is that your business has to have been impacted by COVID. Obviously, in a very vague term, not one that's actually been addressed by the courts, but one that you can, you know, certainly test as a lawyer during the litigation process. You know, you can ask employers to produce financial records. You right. say that you've lost yeah. money, prove it. Uh, you, you say that you've, you know, you've lost clients, prove it. You know, you say you don't need my, uh, you have a shortage of work or things like that. You can't just make blanket statements in court. You've got to be able to show the evidence that supports your position if you want these protections. So regardless of these regulations, Robert, you know, I think that you have a very strong position if you want to take the, the final step of claiming constructive dismissal. And I don't believe these regulations will ultimately be found to disentitle you from doing so. Robert, you've reached out and uh, got a fairly robust answer there, but I know you'll probably want to continue the conversation with Stan and his uh, his team. Do so, and that would be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll get another email in here before break. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's next in line says, "Is it discriminatory to force employees to take the vaccines or lose their jobs?" That is a question I'm sure you've had a million times over the last several months, right? Yeah, a million might be on the low end. Yeah, um, seriously. So there, for this question, we actually do have some guidance, and we actually can provide a little bit more of an answer here, uh, because the Human Rights Commission, which is one of the regulatory bodies that you know that um, interprets the Human Rights Code, back in September preemptively came out. Uh, with an answer and basically said that from their position, no, it is not inherently discriminatory to ask people about their vaccination statuses and to, you know, to implement these types of policies specifically. That doesn't mean that they have, to, again, you know, and I think this is where a lot of employers are, again, are confused, that because it's not discriminatory doesn't mean you have the right to fire someone for cause or put them on an unpaid leave for cause. And a lot of employers have, again, extrapolated from what the Human Rights Commission has said, which is not even a decision, John. I mean, it's really just an opinion uh, in, in a vacuum without any actual facts to evaluate and to apply to. So, but they've extrapolated from things like that and from you know hearing the federal government making these 
pronouncements about upcoming vaccine mandates right. And, right. and and said and thought to themselves, OK, we have the inherent authority to do this. And again, again I think that's where there's a lot of confusion. And I think a lot of employers are going to get into trouble in listening to those you know, circumstantial bits of evidence and coming to that conclusion. And with that, we'll take another uh, final short break and continue on with the rest of the show email address we're using today. And you can use anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca and to reach out to Stan and his team, 1-855-821-5900. Employment Law Show continues. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back to it. A few minutes to go. You still got some time to uh, to reach out. You want to send an email as well? Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website anytime pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Free, anonymous, severance pay calculator is there. Among all the other things you can be learned uh, about, or you can learn for. Uh, for employment laws, it pertains to you as an employee and a, and a working guy like the rest of us in this uh, in this province anyway. Alicia up next says, hey, Stan, if I am pregnant and worried about the effects of the vaccine, can I get a medical exemption? Well, Alicia, in line with pretty much all other, you know, instances where you would need to get a medical exemption, it always comes down to what is your doctor saying and will they provide you with a medical note to support your request for an accommodation? Um, I've had a few people, I can tell you, John, who have come to me and said, well, you know, I'm pregnant or I just given birth and I'm concerned about the vaccine and it's a, how it's going to affect uh, my baby, obviously. And, you know, and sometimes that's grounded in real fear and sometimes it's grounded in just emotion and you know, subjective fear, which I think is completely understandable in that context as well. At the end of the day, I mean, it's really not up to the employee to determine whether or not they qualify for a medical exemption. It, the only person who could do it is a doctor. And to go beyond that, Alicia, and I'm sorry to say that, I mean, that the, the Ontario Medical Association came out very early in this process and explicitly said that there's really only two reasons to ever give somebody an exemption, uh, both of which you know, require you to take the first dosage of the vaccine and have have an adverse reaction to it. Okay. Uh, which has led a lot, led to a lot of hesitancy from doctors in providing exemptions outside of that particular context, because on top of two reasons that we think you should give an exemption for, uh, there was a, also a, a stick attached to that, that basically, you know, where the OMA had said, you know, and if you go outside this context, you know, we might have to review your license. Kind of an implicit threat to a lot of doctors to not do it under threat of losing their license if they do. And right. some doctors have chosen to do it anyway. And there are, you know, several in the province who are having their license currently reviewed because of that. And I can tell you, you know, in speaking to clients that several doctors that they, these clients have worked with said that they would like to give the medical uh, note to these people based on whatever the medical circumstances are, but they're not willing to risk their license, uh, which is, I think, created a, a very unfortunate situation because really I, I would argue that the only person who should be able to really determine, you know, and it has always been the only person to be able to determine whether an exemption should be granted is a doctor who examines yes. you, not a doctor's association. Again, giving directions in a vacuum without knowing the particular context 
the particular facts or the particular medical issues that are being addressed. Uh, and, and they've taken that power, frankly, away from doctors with these blanket statements. I, I just don't see how that is necessarily appropriate or keeping in line with the general you know, understanding that it's the doctor who reviews you and comes to their medical uh, opinion that should have the right to determine whether you qualify for an exemption or not. Um, but that is the state of, you know, of play right now, John, that we, we are dealing with a situation that many doctors are hesitant to obviously you know, put their livelihoods on the line. And I haven't, frankly, seen a lot of medical exemptions go out um, because of that. And mm -hmm. specifically in the, in the pregnancy context, um, I, I haven't seen you know, too many uh, doctors be willing to give a medical exemption. Now, you know, the one thing I will say, Alicia, is that there is a lot of risk on the employer's side into the minefield that they're stepping in. Um, because on top of you know the medical perspective, there is the obvious pregnancy perspective and the fact that you are very likely going to be off of work in the near future. And I many you know I have a client who was 26 weeks pregnant when she was terminated for cause because she didn't get the vaccine mandate or the vaccine. This is also a person who had was working from home at this point uh, and and was likely going to be off of work within the next 10 weeks. And despite that, they still chose to terminate her for cause for not getting the vaccine mandate, a yeah. vaccine. <laughs> so, you know, the question I would put to the employer there is, isn't there a reasonable alternative that could have avoided that? I mean, you, she's got 10 weeks to go before she's off of work. She's working from home. You've, you've literally, a common, you know, she's been working without the vaccine for since the pandemic started, since the you know vaccine became available. There, in that particular instance, haven't been issues in the workplace of an outbreak or anything like that. Is this really reasonable disciplinary action for the employer to take in that context? And I think there's a lot of, you know, as I say, that's a minefield for an employer to step into. Um, I would be very hesitant as if I were the employer to, to pull the trigger on that termination. Uh, and I think just the obvious reasonable answer is if you have an end date, just let the employee get to the end date and you can revisit the issue when they come back, you know, 12 months, 18 months from now. Okay, we'll wrap it there for the day. You want to reach out to ask that question yourself. Here's how you're going to do it, right? Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the phone number anytime to reach Stan and his team, 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. And the website built just for you, absolutely free, anonymous. Lots of good information there, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time, Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.